Beyond the Pelvis is hosted by Dr. Keneal Siegel, a pelvic floor PT and intuitive healer, and Laura Haraka, a somatic practitioner and breathwork facilitator. Each week, we explore alternative and holistic approaches to healing chronic pelvic pain and other painful or chronic conditions. Join us and other experts in mind, body, and spiritual healing as we discuss a wealth of modalities ranging from ancient practices to modern therapies that challenge the conventional Western model of treatment. Let's get right to it. So today I'm so excited to introduce to you Rachel Goffman, who is a doctor of physical therapy and pelvic pain coach. Her mission is to help women liberate themselves from a life consumed by chronic pelvic pain and to help them create lives of great purpose, connection, and intention. So welcome, Rachel. We're so happy to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. If we could just start, can you just share a little bit about yourself, who you are, what brought you into this space? Sure. So as you already said, I am a doctor of physical therapy and pelvic pain coach, and I really work with women with chronic pelvic pain, help them heal through a mind-body approach, and really return to living full and empowered lives. What brought me into this space was my own healing journey. So about, gosh, seven years ago now? Yeah, 2016. Yeah. So seven years ago, (laughs) I developed chronic pelvic pain. And at the time, I was already on track to go to PT school. So I did that thinking I'd become a pelvic PT and like heal myself. And in that time, (laughs) what I rediscovered was the mind-body approach to healing, which I had previously learned about and used to heal my chronic low back pain, which had been a previous chronic condition of mine. But for a very long time, I didn't understand that pelvic pain could also be a mind-body condition. So what I, what I learned was that it certainly could, (laughs) and I really utilize that approach to heal myself. And now I work with clients to help them do the same. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's interesting that I say this all the time on all the, all the episodes, but we end up in this space because we have our own personal history with the very conditions that we end up treating. Just before we got um, just before we started recording, we were sharing, we each were sharing how that is what got all of us into this space is we all had our own history with pelvic abdominal dysfunction and hence here we are really uh, inspired by the fact that you had experience with mind body even before you went to PT school so I'm what I'm wondering now is how did that experience in the mind body space how did that show up for you in PT school and then immediately after when you were a working PT yeah so it was really challenging (laughs) being in PT school and hearing purely biomedical, biomechanical explanations, um, especially of back pain. We had a whole spine course of all the intricacies of every facet joint and every, every, everything that's structural. And I'm sitting there going, that's not, that wasn't my experience. And I've heard so many stories of folks who are like, that didn't help them. And really it was, I remember hearing about, I think it was like Waddell's signs of inorganic pain. 
And it was basically an explanation of like when your patient is malingering was kind of how it was framed. And I was reading through these signs of quote unquote inorganic pain. And I'm like, this is just central sensitization. And this is just like what happens when your brain is on alarm. But it was framed in this way of patients are exaggerating. They're not being honest. They're, you know, just not being accurate with what they're feeling in a blaming sense. And I could just sense this total um, lack of understanding of how chronic pain works. And I remember we had only one single lecture on pain science in all of PT school. And it was the best lecture of the entire program. <laughs> I was sitting there like so excited talking about like neuroplasticity and like really all the things that I think are the most important thing to understand as a treating clinician. And that was the only time we ever spoke about it in those three years. And so I felt very strongly about bringing in some of that information into my program. There wasn't a huge opportunity to do that, but I was able to do a trauma-informed care class, like a little lecture, which was, I thought was really important and helpful for folks because there was no discussion around how to communicate with patients, how to talk about anything emotional, any, and if you work with bodies, you work with trauma. If you work with people, you work with trauma. And to me, it was so surprising and disappointing, I think, that there was no trauma-informed care built in at all into our curriculum or really most curriculums from what I understand. That is a really good point. And wow, that's, that's so, again, inspiring that you actually brought in what was needed. You, as a student, did you do that as a student? Yeah, my third year, I was like, hi, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah, you as a student brought in trauma-informed care because it is missing. It mm. really is. And I'm not surprised that you only had that one pain course. I think for me, it was the, I've talked about it before, it was like a half semester biopsychosocial class. Like that, that was it. There yeah. wasn't much more, but there was a lot of emphasis on low back pain. I felt like we talked about low back pain forever. It was low back pain, low back pain, low back pain. Yeah. We don't really know how to treat it. Oh yeah. Every other article is about low back pain and they're all different. And yeah, there was not much discussion around the back, the fact that it could be mind body. Yeah. Basically I remember that as well. And essentially the conclusion was nothing really works for low back pain. Cool. So what do we do with our patients then? Right. And that was a very challenging part of being an, a student and having this background and really being in a cohort that didn't have that information. When I would try to bring some of that into it, it was pretty much shut down. And then my first job out of grad school, I worked in a um in a practice, a big practice. And I had taken uh Dr. Schubner and Charlie Merrill's course for clinicians. And I gave a little in-service and kind of talked about all of these amazing things and techniques we can use in practice. And I was so excited to share with everybody. And they listened, but they're like, okay. There wasn't much resonance, I think, with understanding how to integrate that or really, I think, sometimes interest because it's so far from what we learned as students. It's, it seems to a lot of folks to be, quote, unquote, like out of scope. But once you understand pain from this like holistic perspective, it's very much in scope. Like it's very much in scope. And you can learn these tools after you graduate. It's not in our program. I wish it were. 
But there are so many classes now that we could take to really build our skills to work with folks in this way. That really is so important and impactful. I have a question for you. You healed your lower back pain because you connected the dots and realized it was a mind-body condition. I'm just curious when you realized or what brought you to the realization that the pelvic pain was also a mind-body condition. Yeah. Okay. So I think the answer is I always had an idea, but I didn't, I like couldn't mentally get there. And for the pelvic pain, I didn't yet have evidence of someone saying that pelvic pain was mind-body. So back to the back pain first. So my back pain started (laughs) after a traumatic event. Within a couple of days, I developed what I thought was a hamstring strain, turned out to be sciatica. And then once I was diagnosed with sciatica, I had a lump, I had an MRI, you know, I have a bulging disc and fear, fear, fear. So I about two and a half years of debilitating back pain. And I had not told anybody about what happened to me, the traumatic event. I would, I'd never talked about it. I shoved it down, was like, just not going to think about it. Didn't happen. I was um, naive and thought that if we didn't consciously think about it, it just didn't happen. It will, will just go away. Uh, that's not how bodies work is what we learned. (laughs) And so basically one day my father, who is like the least woo person you'll ever meet was like, Hey, I was watching or listening to the Howard Stern show, Howard Stern. And he had recommended this book, read this book. I don't know what it's about, but like read this book. It's called healing back pain. And I was like, my dad never recommends me stuff. So I was like, okay, I'll check this out. I'll do, I'll read anything, whatever. So I read this book in like one night and like started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, oh, damn it. (laughs) Like I have to actually deal with what had occurred. I have to actually understand that like I have to process emotions. I have to process the trauma. I have to, my body's okay. (laughs) Understanding that was really important. And rather quickly within about like four to six months, my back pain went away. Now I went to therapy. I did a couple sessions at EMDR. I um, did some talk therapy, but really so much was understanding like my body was trying to protect me. I think that was a really critical understanding that I had to come to. I had so much blame, self-blame of what had happened, self-blame of my creating, quote unquote, creating my pain and all of this fear, worry, and focus. And understanding that my body was okay. I hadn't done anything permanently damaged to my body and my body can heal. And it already like is trying to heal. So I had a a nice like year and a half off. (laughs) Then I had a re-traumatizing incident and then my pelvic pain started within the week. And both of these traumas were not physical. They were more emotional, put it that way. And so I knew that like, Nothing, nothing physically could be that wrong, but the symptoms were so severe, I couldn't really get my mind around that. So I'd gone to all the doctors, gotten a million tests done, thought it was like BV or yeast. Everything was negative. I got all the UTI tests. Everything was negative. Um, I went to a urologist, a neurologist, pelvic MRI, transvaginal ultrasound, like the whole workup, right? And after all of that, first I was told nothing is wrong with you. And then I was given these diagnoses of exclusion, pinoneuralgia, IC, and vulvodynia. 
And those were all, they felt almost like terminal diagnoses because they were so scary to me. And when I'd go online, Dr. Google said, you know, you're never going to heal. These are just like conditions people live with. Best of luck. So that was really scary. And the options for treatment I was being offered by the doctors were nerve blocks and bladder installations and pelvic floor injections and all things that I did not want to do. And they also couldn't explain to me why, how this was happening, why this was happening. And I didn't want to do an invasive treatment without an explanation of that. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and was like, okay, I've kind of been here before (laughs) in a way, right? I've been here before where I had this severe debilitating pain that no one could really help me with. And the underlying cause was emotional. So I started kind of scavenging in the mind-body world, looking for any evidence of somebody who had had pelvic pain. And I found like one podcast, I think it was on the V-Hive. And it was a success story. Somebody who had healed, I think it was IC. And I was like, oh, we found one. (laughs) And that was enough for me to be like, okay, this can be pelvic pain too. I think I was really waiting to hear a story just like mine, like exactly like mine. I didn't find that, but that was close enough. And then I started finding on Nicole Sachs's podcast, she had a couple of pelvic pain healing stories and Dan had some on his channel, Pain For You. And I was like, okay, okay, this is a real thing. This could be, this could be me. And this feels like me, like this feels like what's happening with me. So that was kind of, and then the, the real clincher for me was when I, I found um, Unlearn Your Pain by Dr. Schubner. And in it, one of the conditions he had listed was pelvic pain. And I was like, okay, I'm committing to this. Like, this is what's happening with me. So that was my trajectory. <laughs> so it sounds like to me, you just put, or I should say, obtained a lot of evidence mm-hmm. from different sites, things. And I think that's one of the reasons we, or I share my story, why you share your story is so it's not as hard for other people to find more evidence out there that pelvic pain, no matter how severe the sensations are, that it still could be a mind-body condition. Absolutely. And I, it's so funny. I think about this all the time because I, when I was in the thick of it, I was like, I will never, ever tell anyone I went through this. No one will ever know. I had a chronic pelvic pain. It felt so shameful. It was such a big, like, it felt like a really big burden that I didn't want anyone else to know about. It's a part of the body that's so sensitive. I didn't want anyone thinking about my vulva ever. I was like, I don't ever want to talk about this. And now I talk about it all the time. But it's because, right, it shouldn't have shame. It shouldn't have stigma. It's a part of the body like anywhere else. And it needs attention. And people need to know that there is help, right? So that is why I share my story. That's why I'm so passionate about this. And it's really, I talk about all the time how it's like back pain is like dinner conversation. We all know somebody who has back pain. When I I had back pain, everyone knew about it. (laughs) Right. But pelvic pain, I had a very select few people in my life who even know I was experiencing it. And that was really challenging. That made things much harder because I didn't have really good support. I wasn't really sharing what I was going through. And that was really, really challenging. So I want others to know that it's okay to share, that it's okay to talk about this part of the body, that there's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's pain like anywhere else. We need to now normalize pelvic pain. 
any chronic pain, really. Like, it's just another part of the body. Like, can we look at it like the elbow or the knee or the hip? It's just another part of the body. Like, there should not be, but there is. I get it. But there there shouldn't be that shame around it. And if these conditions, chronic pelvic pain, not for everyone, but for some people, are a result of a traumatic event where they may already be experiencing shame, now there's shame attached to having pain because of the shame. It's like yep. shame on top of shame. Never helpful. Terrible cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never helpful. Exactly. Um, so certainly I think unshaming pelvic pain is such a big part of this work. Anyone who works in pelvic pain, I think we're all kind of on that mission, right? That's why we're, we're all here talking about it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Now, I wanted to confirm, but I think you did for us already, that your pain was brought on by traumatic events that were not physical, they were emotional. There was a physical component, but the the physical part was less severe than the emotional part. So it's not completely just emotional, but for sure, the emotional response that I had was the ultimate driver of what had occurred. Right. And just to clear up that someone can actually have a physical traumatic event that does turn into a chronic condition because of emotions attached to that physical event, because when the body heals, it's healed, but they're still experiencing pain. Yeah. No, we did have a conversation about this in another podcast episode already that the different types of reasons why someone may be experiencing pain, nociceptive versus non-nociceptive. So Go yeah. back and listen to that one if you're curious. <laughs> I think that's the one we talked about, the placebo effect. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Probably. Okay. Now, I would like for you to share, because I'm betting that other people are thinking about this as well, how exactly, I mean, not details, but how did you address your personal chronic condition mm. emotionally, right? You mentioned EMDR. You mentioned talk therapy, addressing and facing your emotions, but what did that look like? Yeah. So I had tried a couple of things. So I think most people in the mind body world are familiar with Nicole Sachs journal speak. Um, I love her. I love her work. I hate journaling. (laughs) So I, I tried some of that. I ended up doing more of like a voice memo journaling. I'm a verbal person, if you guys couldn't tell. And so that worked pretty well for me to kind of express But honestly, a really big part of addressing my emotions was actually learning to use my voice in a way that was protective. Such a big part of both of my chronic pain symptoms was a feeling of I couldn't protect myself with my voice. So, so much of of healing was teaching my body that actually like I can speak up for myself. I can advocate. I can set boundaries. I can say no. And so much of that was really paramount for, for myself to, to trust myself in a way. I I felt so much of a rupture with my own body and my own self in that whole pain process. And so much of healing for me was tuning into what are my emotions. I had no idea how to access them. I didn't know that I was afraid. I was very enmeshed with people. I had a lot of people pleasing and all that stuff. And I often felt very disconnected from what I wanted or I didn't want. So really like relearning how to tune into that and creating safety in myself to feel any emotion. So 
It was a process. I did um, meditations. I did guided imagery, um, inner child stuff, like different ways. Every time I did inner child work, I cried every single time. <laughs> I still probably do, but there was a lot of kind of connecting to my child self and being a protector for myself was such a big part of that. And I really feel like I've, I found a voice I didn't have before any of that. So I am grateful for the results. I wish it happened differently. <laughs> it's so interesting and important point what you say about the journaling. I am also a huge fan of Nicole Sachs and I am extremely grateful for her because she really was one of the people along with others that introduced this mind-body connection to me. But I see clients all the time and they say the same thing as you. Oh, I hate journaling. And one of the things you did was one of the things I did. I would literally take my phone and hit record and record myself talking because I'm a talker too. I like to talk. I don't like just to sit and write, but there's many ways to do something. You don't have to sit and journal. That doesn't mean you're not going to get better. And the other point that you made is everybody's different. For you, it was finding your own voice. For me, it was something else. And part of it was finding my own voice too, but there's different things for different people. So it doesn't mean, oh, I have to find my own voice. Now that's going to make me better from pelvic pain. It's really connecting with yourself and your body. Yes. And one tool I forgot to mention, EFT tapping for me was really helpful, really helpful. I don't know why. I still don't really fully understand, <laughs> but it really helped me connect to my emotional experience and actually process through in a way that just talking into my phone didn't quite do. It would often, I would talk into the phone first and that would be like starting the flow and then I'd go into tapping. And that's a, a modality that I love. Some clients love, some clients don't resonate and that's totally fine. Right, there's so many different options out there. It's just about finding what works for you. As you were speaking, I can definitely, I think I got a sense that there was a Wrote chakra thing mm. happening, which affected your root chakra, hence the pelvic floor, pelvic pain issue. And you had to heal throat chakra in order to heal your root chakra. And then as you were talking about people pleasing, I automatically was thinking, oh, there was some codependency going on, which when that's happening, you sort of lose your sense of self in so many different ways. And I think that's why tapping worked for you because now like, this is me, this is my body. It was really just putting you back into your body. I mean, that's how I would explain it. That's what I got. Yeah, I love that explanation. That's very much resonates. I'm kind of feeling my own borders, right? Like the body as like my own borders. I have always had a hard time, had always had a hard time feeling self versus other. And so I would just like collapse in other people's wants. And really so much of my healing was like figuring out what's in my own container <laughs> and advocating for that. And that's something that's kind of hard to explain to folks, but it has become such a more like whole version of self rather than collapsed version of self. And I'm very grateful to have that now. Absolutely. And this leads me to want to talk about the scope of practice. Because how was it for you? Because I've shared on here before that I always felt like I wasn't sure if I was allowed, like I needed permission to be able to do this. And then it was like, no, this, I'm addressing pain. And if the pain happens to be because of codependency or emotional 
traumas or whatever it is. They don't know boundaries. I'm going to do it. So now I do it. I don't care. Um, not that I don't care. I do care, but I it's within my scope because in order to address this, we have to address all of these other things. Um, but how do you feel about it now? How did you feel about it before? So I love what you just said, and I now feel how you do. Now, I'm a recent grad. I graduated from PT school in 2020, so I am new. And in a way, I'm grateful to be new <laughs> because I came at a time where I had mentors in the PT space who were implementing and integrating this stuff. So I found Joe Tata, Charlie Merrill. Like I had some folks I could look to who are PTs who are integrating some of this stuff in their practice. Now, what's a little challenging. So where I currently work as a physical therapist, I'm in someone else's practice that's more traditional. And so I have to be very mindful of well, always, no matter what, mindful of consent, but folks come in not always expecting to have a more holistic conversation. So my agenda <laughs> is always to make sure the patient feels safe in whatever it is that we're doing. There are certainly many patients who come into a PT practice not expecting or wanting to talk about emotions, talk about anything outside of their own bodies. So I have to be very mindful of that and respectful of that. I also have to read the room, right? So some folks are very open to it and are ready for that discussion. And I will, you know, go for it with them. Some folks, I will broach it and they really kind of back off. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to back off. So it's really a bit of like a being aware of who's in front of me and what they're available for. But scope of practice, I think it's all within. If we're treating pain, we're treating the whole person and just dealing with the body is not sufficient, especially for chronic pain. The fact that we're talking about like chakras and <laughs> codependency, like those things are part of a person. And if we treat them holistically, we have to. Yeah. And so what do you, do you ever get patients who you get who are not open to those discussions? Absolutely. I have to do what you do and read the room and see if they're open to it. And if I feel like, okay, there may be an opening and I, you know, try to plant a seed or something, I, I use plant metaphors, <laughs> plant a seed and see what happens. Like, how do they respond to it? And if it feels like they're pushing back or they don't want to go there, then I don't go there. But if it feels like they're open to it, then I will go there. You know, I will go as far as they feel safe and comfortable going. But if they're not going to go there and I know that there's nothing I can do to help them if they don't go there then we have to have that conversation. As a pelvic pain patient, someone that experienced it in the past, I was always very appreciative of my PTs. I would go and it was what I was holding on to basically all week. And I had a, two really amazing PTs that really tried to help me. And when they brought in the topic of emotions and feelings, and what was happening in my life, it wasn't that I didn't want to be open to it. I didn't even know that there could be a connection. So why would they be doing it? So it wasn't until I read Unlearn Your Pain and different things that I was aware. And then I realized some of the things they said were so much more impactful in my healing than what they did with their hands. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm glad you had that experience. 
And I think that's true. I think we are so, a lot of our, I mean, all of our training really is physical and like what you're doing with your hands and, and with exercise and exercise prescription and all that. And there's so little discussion around how we talk to our patients, what we say, and they remember everything. Like having been a pelvic pain patient as well, right? I remember everything my doctor has said to me and some stuff I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) that was awful. And so being really mindful, both directions, right? Either you're planting, right? Nocebo, placebo. So it's so critical to understand the language we use, how we say things, when we say things, to be mindful of the impact on the nervous system of the person in front of us. And I care much more about that than anything that I do (laughs) skill-wise, physical skill-wise, because I think you're right, Laura. I think that is what patients really remember and ultimately has long lasting impact on their healing. Yeah, we did a whole episode exactly about that, the placebo, nocebo, how you say, what you say, how that makes a difference. And I mentioned that I am very careful and mindful with what I say, even if I'm planting a seed in the positive direction, just to let them know that this is a safe space and you can heal and recover. It may not be true in the moment, but they don't need to know that. But if it's going to help them get to a state where they're open to hearing and doing, then I am going to plant that seed. I uh, I love that. I actually, I remember I was in um, Charlie's class and I had, I was a new grad and I, I, mean, I still have this question all the time about ethics, right? The ethics of, of giving hope. And I remember in, in grad school, they talked a lot about not giving false hope. And that really stuck with me because what is false hope? <laughs> what is false hope? Because so much is determined by what we believe. So if you don't believe it's possible, it's not possible. Automatically, it's not possible because your brain decides it's not possible. So I think it is a disservice to anybody to tell them they won't heal. Now, obviously, some people have, you know, complete spinal cord injuries. There's some things that that are not going to heal. And there is like real true things that we have to be aware of physically. But when it comes to pain, physical pain, neuroplastic pain, there is so much room for healing. And that is the honest truth. It's not just like BS. I think that's really important to give people that hope that is honest. Because there's always hope. Always hope. I don't care how bad your pain is. Like my pain, I think back to my pain and I, I sometimes have a hard time remembering, but it was like, truly nine to 10 out of 10 for like over a year, maybe two years, every day, constant burning. So if pain could be that severe and then just go away, I believe anybody's pain can go away. Like I just, I've lived that experience thinking something this bad can't ever heal, but it did. So I think it's really important to to share that. It's really important to share it because I have clients that say to me, my pain is excruciating. There is no way, Laura, that this could be a mind-body condition. So how do we convince them of that? So they convince themselves, is my opinion. (laughs) We don't convince anybody, right? Um, I know that like, there's so much resistance to being told that you're okay, to being told, but you don't get it. You're not in my body, right? So it really comes from the client, from the patient. Um, but really they're looking for evidence. They're building their evidence list. So I often go through, um, the fit criteria from Dr. Schutner with them and help them see like their symptoms may not respond like traditional physical symptoms, but also they're going to start to observe symptoms change when I'm stressed. Are they relieved on vacation? Like if symptoms fluctuate with time of day, there are all of these things they can look for, for evidence of, okay, 
my brain is the driver here, not a tissue issue. And they build that confidence over time. I don't expect anyone to be like, oh, I get it. Perfect. No problem. That's not how brains work. There's so much protection up there to really try and keep people safe. And the idea that they could just heal is too overwhelming. (laughs) It's too overwhelming. And when the pain is that severe, it's unbelievable to them. So you build the case slowly. It's the only way it works, in my opinion. (laughs) I love your answer to that. Absolutely love it because they have to come to the conclusion themselves. We can lead them there and help give them little tools and the fit criteria because I've also had Dr. Schubner's training just like you and help them compile evidence, but they have to come to that realization themselves at some point. Yeah. Realization and decision that like, this is the approach they're choosing to use. I think there's so much kind of back and forth where they want to step in, but they're one foot out. They're still trying to get, and I'm never going to tell someone not to go to the doctor. People can go to the doctor as much as they want, as long as they want. I'm not going to be the person to say, don't get checked out. But there comes a time when you've done everything. You've done it all. You're getting the same tests over and over and you're getting the same result. So when do you decide you're done, right? When do you decide that I am now, at least for the next, I don't know, month, going to try this approach, which is not invasive, not expensive. Like you can read a book and try to implement this, right? There's all this help online and see what happens, right? But no one can tell you when you're ready for that. No one can tell you when it's the time to stop trying all the treatments you tried before that didn't work for you. And that's ultimately a personal choice that no one else can tell you when that is. So when you're working with clients, since you, you know, were on that topic, how does that process look? Like, what does it look like for someone who calls you, Rachel, I have chronic pelvic pain. I read your story or heard your story that you also had pelvic pain. So I trust that you understand what this is or how this might be and how can you help me? How do you take them through from point A to point B? Yeah. So it really depends. (laughs) Everyone's journey is different. And I am always very clear on that. There is not a A, B, C, D, like there's no like, this is the way you get there because everyone's journey is different. My framework is we help you to create authentic safety in the nervous system. That is ultimately like, The overarching theme where we start is we start with understanding pain from a pain science perspective. Many folks have already come in knowing that they've been in the mind body world a bit. They've listened to podcasts, they've read some books. So sometimes that has already been done, but I reinforce it and make sure we're all on the same page. Then it's really about befriending the body and understanding symptoms and sensations as messengers and not as evil things trying to ruin your life. Really understanding their body is trying to protect you and that finding safety in coming back into the body through somatic practices and all kinds of ways to reconnect with yourself. Then is really bringing pleasure back into life. So much of chronic pain is just pain, no fun, no joy, no pleasure. So, so much of the work we do together is helping people connect back to what makes them happy, what lights them up, what feels good for them, bringing in pleasurable sensations, activities, connections, things they enjoy and how healing that is. And lastly is really re-engaging in life. So really helping them to reprioritize the things they value, to get back to doing the work they love to do, to spend time with their kids, to go do the activities they want to do. And we do that with graded exposure and imaginal exposure and all kinds of ways to help to desensitize the nervous system 
while helping them do the things that they care about. Really, the aim is to get them back to living their lives fully. And in doing that, they're sending the ultimate signal of safety, which is like, I'm actually okay. I'm actually okay, which is the whole point. (laughs) It always comes back to the nervous system, doesn't it? Every time. (laughs) Always. I love that. That's a beautiful approach. And yeah, I think that's anyone working in this space is trying to teach someone that they are safe. I think everybody is doing that, right? In their own little flavor. When you kind of boil it all down, I've, you know, I think many of us have taken many different trainings and, and I think every time I finish a training, I'm like, well, that was kind of the same thing as the other thing, just with other little tools and techniques. But the overarching idea is literally always the same. And I kind of love that because it's simple, but simple does not mean easy. <laughs> so just to be very clear. But it's, it really is like, if you're creating safety, you are healing. It's so true about simple doesn't mean easy Mm -hmm. because your whole framework, you've made it extremely simple Mm -hmm. and you break it down where people know what to do, where I knew what to do, but it is a difficult process. It is, it's not easy to heal from any kind of pain. And like we've said, pelvic pain in particular, there's shame on top of shame sometimes with it. Yeah. So it can be a messy process, but it's so worth looking into yourself and doing it because we don't have to live with chronic pelvic pain. And that's also why we all exist, right? To help people through their journeys, because it's really hard to do alone. Now I was looking for somebody to help me through. I didn't find a pelvic pain coach at the time. I found a pleasure coach I worked with for six months who was very helpful in just kind of really bringing pleasure back into my life. But I wanted, I wanted more specifically pain. I didn't find that. So that's why I now do what I do. Um, But really, I think it's invaluable having somebody there to like hold your hand through and to like really tell you that even though you're having a huge flare, that means nothing about your future. It means nothing about your ability to heal in the long term. And we forget that when we're in it and you're having your pain flare and you're like, oh my God, how could it be this bad at this point? You're reminded like, it's just a flare. It'll go. They've all gone before. They'll all go again and kind of keep you on the path. Yeah. We both have the same motivation for doing what we did. I wish I knew you then, or you knew me then, but we probably were going through it at the same time. Totally. Where I wanted a person that actually specialized in pelvic pain, because even though we treat it the same, basically mm-hmm. chronic pain syndromes, it's nice to have someone that understands what you're going through. Totally agree. And even though it is the same, emotionally, I think it feels different. I think emotionally, that part of the body just feels different. And having somebody who literally has been it through it, has has been there, understands, has gone through the same things you're trying to now go through, I think it's incredibly helpful. My clients, tell, they tell me all the time, the best thing about working with me is that I get it. And at first I was offended because I was like, I've done all this training and blah, blah, but really I understand because that's what I wanted to. <laughs> you know, I wanted that connection. I wanted to be with somebody who had lived it, who, who has overcome it, who's gone through it and said, Hey, you can do it too. And I understand why they say that. (laughs) I get that because that happens to me all the time. I might have a somatic session with someone or a breathwork session that I've prepared 
or <laughs> I've gotten all this education. They're like, oh, well, you just understand. That's what made it feel better. Yeah. But we also know like co-regulation, right? Like that's such a big part of it. And it's just, it's, it, I laugh every time because I'm like going through all this school and all this work and what you want is, and I get it. I wanted the same thing. I wanted somebody who had been through it, who understood. And I'm very grateful I'm able to do that for folks now. Yeah, I think it does provide them a sense of hope. And it's also like, if they did it, I can do it too. So it's you constantly being a reminder for them. You know the science, you know how this works, you're treating it, you experienced it yourself. But that's just, it just gives them more of a sense of hope. And okay, if they can do it, I can do it. And if they lose hope or they feel defeated, they're like, oh yeah, I'm talking to Rachel again, who has been there, has done that. And it's just this continuous motivation. You know, I was thinking that we often, as regular people, we often think like, oh, we can do this by ourselves, but we're never meant to people alone. (laughs) Like, we are people and we can't be people by ourselves, right? We are people when we have the help and guidance of other people. And that was so much of my healing journey too, is I was very hyper-independent. And that's also why like both of my back pain and pelvic pain, like I'll do it myself. I mean, I, it did kind of, but it's so much harder. <laughs> like it's so much harder. And we aren't meant to be alone. The isolation itself is a huge danger signal, right? So finding community, finding people to help you along the way, getting support, that is part of healing. And I wish I understood that better when I was going through it, because I would have made a more concerted effort to like find my people to really support me. But I now make sure my clients do. <laughs> and hopefully they could all find all of us and other people doing this work easily now, because I feel like more and more people are talking about it. More people are open about these things. So, you know, when you were going through it just a few years ago, it was hard to find anyone out there who could support you. And I feel like nowadays, it's easier for people to find someone. And even better is they have options. Now it's just instead of, okay, there's this one person who I may or may not get along with who can help me, but okay, there's one. Now it's like, oh, there's a variety of people. Now I get to choose who I feel I can best help me. Totally. And I always say that too on my consult calls. I'm like, I'm not your only choice. Like there are, and I give names of other people if they're looking for referrals, right? Like I am not the right fit for everybody. And that is like very important to say and find your people, right? Find people who you think are the best fit to help you for whatever reason. And I think it's wonderful now that folks have options. It used to be there was like one person only, and now we got choices, which is great. Yeah. I think it is great that they have, that they have options. And I feel like that's where the spirit part of, you know, like I work mind, body and spirit. And I feel like the spirit part, like my soul and your soul need to be able to get along. (laughs) (laughs) right and if they don't then it's not gonna work because you're not gonna feel safe around me you're not gonna trust me and that defeats the whole purpose trying to get you to feel safe in the first place absolutely I love that so I'm just curious if there's anything else you'd like to add to anyone going through pelvic pain right now listening to this podcast so just to reiterate that there is so much hope for healing no matter how bad symptoms are, no matter how many years you've had them, there is always hope for healing and you don't have to do it alone. There is help out there. There are many people now who are doing this work and please reach out if you want that support because it can be incredibly invaluable. And where can people find you? They do want to reach out. 
Yeah. So I am on Instagram at the pelvic pain coach. That was one word. And my website is the pelvic pain And you can email me at Rachel at the pelvic pain Thank you so much, Rachel, for being here with us today. I know you've helped a lot of people by just being here and sharing your story and giving them some tips, some tools. And I know people really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a wonderful conversation. I loved, loved speaking with you both. Thank you. This has really been great. I think this is especially great because one, this is a success story. And also you are a healer, right? You are the pelvic PT, the pelvic or PT coach who can help people overcome this. So thank you. I appreciate you. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask a question, please check the show notes with the link so you can reach us directly or email us at beyondthepelvis at gmail.com.